Welcome to My on Mondays, an explorative approach to the possessive my through narratives, art, and sound. Each Monday brings a new creation and unique perspective. My on Mondays is brought to you by Ming Studios, a contemporary art space and international artist residency program dedicated to the exhibition, experience, and exploration of arts and culture. Along with exhibiting artists from around the world, Ming also serves the community by hosting innovative programs including performances, workshops, screenings, readings, artist talks, and other cultural activities. For more information or if you'd like to participate in My on Mondays, you can visit our website at mingstudios.org. Hello and welcome to the 93rd episode of My on Mondays. Today I'm speaking with writer Tomás Faisa, who was our featured artist last week reading his story Witzlin. Originally from San Jose, California, Tomás is the author of the novel Delivery, a Pocho's Accidental Guide to College, Love, and Pizza Delivery, and the collection A Purpose to Our Savagery, which was just released this July. Tomás's work has been nominated for the Pushcart Prize, the Best of the Net, and Best American Short Stories anthologies, and has appeared in various print and online anthologies and journals. Along with writing, Tomás has fenced in Italy, been rescued by helicopter from the Sierra Nevada, fended off wild dogs while hitchhiking in rural Morelos, Mexico, and once delivered pizzas to a Klingon-themed orgy at a sci-fi convention. When he's not writing, Tomás is running trails, obsessing over bonsai trees, and playing the guitar way too loud. I believe that when I saw you read, you mentioned that you came to writing later in life, and so I'm wondering what the impetus was for, uh, that, for that shift. How'd that come about for you? Um, that's a really good question that I should probably be really well prepared to answer. And I'll admit that it's a, it's a super hard, it's a super hard question for me to answer. Mm, Um, Partly because I'm not, I'm not hugely proud of, of the answer, but um, I I started writing formally. I played with it for very, very informally for a decade or so prior, but for a couple of decades, but I, I I sat down for the first time to actually do serious writing, even though I didn't realize it in 2017, and it was sort oh, of wow, a culmination. that recent. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It, um, it was, it was in a moment where I didn't know what else to do, sort of out of desperation. And the the little backstory on that is, I I had spent a lot of my adult life sort of working to be productive and creative and become integrated in, in a, a, a community where I, you know, as most adults spend a lot of time. And in that process, you sort of understand yourself in a certain way. And through a series of pretty important, significant, uh, I'll call them verbal incidents. Verbal it, incidents? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I came to understand that I wasn't really a fully functioning or, or, or I wasn't fully included in the community in which I thought that I had, I had sort of earned a place. 
Oh, wow. That and sounds heartbreaking. It was, you know, it, uh, I, and this is why it's hard to talk about. You know, I, I don't I don't like to discuss my own vulnerability or, you know, who, who loves to talk about their shortcomings. But uh-huh. that realization was pretty traumatic. I thought, wow, you know, I certainly don't think I'm perfect, but I, I feel like I've earned a place at the table just from what I've done and for how long I've done it and for the good faith that I believe that I bring to the effort. And in these, in these incidents, it's, and I, I sort of, I didn't take a lot of, of, of more recent experiences in my life and put them in the novel, but I do have a, a scene where the main character says that someone held a mirror up to them and what they saw wasn't who they thought they would see. And what I was getting back in these exchanges was, a person that I know that I'm not, but clearly that's how I was seen. And I, and it was a really okay. strange moment of like huh. social dysphoria. Like, wow. what the, what the hell is happening? And a lot of my mom's experience trying to integrate herself into her workplace and really struggling came back to me. And I knew better than to, you know, draw a, a, a strict parallel between my mother's experience and mine, you know, <clears throat> Yeah. I'll never engage with the world as a brown woman, obviously. But so much of what I saw her struggle with resonated with me in that moment. And I came to truly understand so much better and empathize with what she experienced as I was growing up. And, and I watched her experience the trauma. And I'm thinking, wow, this this is this is new for me. This is not something that I was really socialized to experience, but here it is. Mm-hmm. And... And I'm thankful that I was able to take my mom's experience and know better than to turn it outwards in terms of toxicity, uh-huh. which was a struggle. But I'll tell you, in my private moments, that was when I was the most angry. That was when I let it come out. And it was everything that I could do to not let it really tear up my family. And wow. so one night in 2017, when my my wife's in bed and our, our young daughter's asleep, I just, I was you know, pacing the house in the middle of the night like an animal. I, I did not know what to do with the anger. And for a long time, I had been putting my frustrations into my music. And so I was I would just play until I, I couldn't stand anymore. Literally, I was falling asleep on my feet and then I'd put away the guitar and, and go to bed. And I was on my way to the, the basically closet-sized room where I, I keep my guitars. And I somehow just knew this isn't going to cut it tonight. I can't do this. And so I, I literally took a left turn, sat down at the computer, and I just started writing. And I had no idea what I was writing. All I knew was why. And the reason was, because if I don't, I don't know what else I'll do. Wow. God, and it so sounds wrote, like there's so much to unpack there and and way more than we can do in the scope (laughs) of this podcast and and probably more than you really want to share too um no i don't know that there is but that was that was it i wrote sort of out of desperation that was that was the catalyst okay wow and um so i guess that leads me to my next question i because i'm sure the two are related i'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your background about yourself and your upbringing just so um, the listeners can um, hear a little bit more about where you're coming from. Um, so I'm originally from San Jose, California, and I grew up in an area 
called the the East Foothills. So if it's between East Ridge Mall and Milpitas, that was pretty much my stomping grounds, you know, with, with a lot of downtown San Jose thrown in. Um, my mother's family is originally from Mexico. My mom was born in Flagstaff and then was brought to the Bay Area at the beginning of World War II, I believe, with the family when uh, her uncle got a job and and uh, and my grandmother, my mother's mom, came with him and uh, set up shop in, in San Jose. And my father's family, I, I know a little bit less, quite less about, and uh, they're from Western Europe originally. And my, my paternal grandmother was a farm girl in, in the San Joaquin Valley. And um, my mom met my father in San Jose and uh backing up a little bit i have an older sister she's about 10 years older than me and we have different fathers and so Mm -hmm. her father passed away when she was two so she barely knew him and i never met him obviously and then my parents divorced i think when i was about four and so i have very few memories of, of living with my father and so my mom raised us both and uh, by herself okay and uh, she was the first one to go to college, and then she was a, a graduate student when I was quite young, um, and my sister was in her early tweens, uh-huh. and so she just she worked her butt off to to raise the both of us. Sounds like it. Wow. Yeah. So you have uh, mixed heritage. Yeah, my father's family is Anglo, and mm-hmm. in the novel, I, I I put a line in the mouth of the main character. Um, his girlfriend says, but your father's white. And he says, yes, alarmingly Caucasian. Because <laughs> um, that's always how I thought of my father. <laughs> he Interesting. Always, whenever I was around him, I thought that I was in the presence of an alien culture. It just seemed so different and strange. Yeah. The bit of your writing that I've read or heard up until now, um, you read a story last week, Witzling. And it had a sort of a supernatural, not sort of, a definite supernatural element. Yeah. And then another story that I heard you read and then I reread, <clears throat> Extra Large for the Lord, um, also has this a hint of that. And there is a tradition of magic realism in Latin American writing, which I love. And... Um, I'm really curious if this is something that you consciously chose as an element for your writing, or is it something that has emerged more organically? Um, I guess the short answer would be that it wasn't intentional and it was more organic. Um, I mean, I, I was obviously introduced to the the concept of, of magical realism, I think in my high school English classes, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't realize that I had kind of read those things before, but they didn't strike me as particularly out of the ordinary because I, I grew up as a kid reading high fantasy. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the magical realism of the, of the, the very serious authors that I read in high school, you know, to me wasn't particularly out there because I was reading these really bizarre fantasy and yeah. sci-fi uh, uh, works. So I didn't, I I absorbed it obviously as a reader, but when I started using it in my own writing, I didn't do it consciously at all. In fact, when 
when I did an interview associated with Extra Large for the Lord, um, the interviewer used the term. He said, you employ um, magical realism in this story. And that shocked me. I uh-huh. thought, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Magical realism is what those authors did that I read in high school. Uh-huh. And and it was strange to to hear that. I, it, it it wasn't offensive in any way. It was it was legitimate. It was authentic. But I thought, wow, did I do that? I I guess. But it just felt it felt exactly what the story needed. And yeah. so it didn't feel like a device to me. It was just what was necessary. And I think it also surprised me because that story in particular is very much based on a real event where a crowd of people was was dumbstruck by this sense of awe and wonder and possibility and we were all in it together and it was Mm -hmm. one of those really pivotal moments in my life where i was in a crowd of people who were all for a split second expecting a miracle yeah and it was a really beautiful moment and i wanted to write something that really hit on that moment of possibility and Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of what I, i shoot for in a lot of my writing i I don't want to write a quote unquote straight story. I want to write something that makes the reader say, what just happened? What, yeah, what's real? Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I think it's something, um, I, I love those elements. Um, I also read fantasy and I've read high fantasy, but I think my favorite stories are the stories where there's just a, a touch of yeah. something, you know? Yeah, more quiet. Yeah, that that allows you to sort of enter a different space almost without even knowing it's going to happen, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I got I got really tired of reading the stories where everything's alien, where mm-hmm. everything requires that the reader suspend all disbelief. I thought to myself, I'm I'm way more impacted by the idea of going through one's life thinking that they understand what's going on and then being smacked across the face with this realization that they don't. Yeah. Uh, I, that's, I feel like that's way more impactful to a reader. It's certainly a lot more fun to, to write. So it, it just came out, I think, naturally in the writing. It's not something where I said, okay, here's where I need to insert the magical realism element. Yeah. And you, and you do it so well, too. Thank you. <laughs> I, I really loved hearing you read um, both of the stories, both at the live reading that I attended and then Wietzlin, which is just such a gorgeous and heartbreaking story. Thank you. So I, I'm curious with, um, you know, ha- having only read this little bit of your work so far, what do you think is the core of what you've tried to to express through your writing up until now, whether consciously or, or not? Sometimes it's easier to see what we're trying to do when we look back on it, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, th- I think there are probably a couple of things that if I'm not actually consciously trying to do, that my writing tends to just gravitate around. And one is concentrating on characters who are trying to figure out who they are and that and that i know that most fiction writers are going to say something like that you you have to insert conflict you have to insert uncertainty you know every every characterization in fiction is a journey and and, now that's all true and and i definitely fall inside those expectations as a writer but i also 
tend to gravitate towards these moments or these stories where the characters saw themselves as one thing but realized that there's something else and in the process mm -hmm. i tried to challenge you know like identity labels and easy pat lazy assumptions of of what and who people are based on you know convenient social norms you know like it's easier to consider these people this way and and i try to if not actually attack then at least challenge really hard this idea that everybody is quantifiable or understandable under these easy labels um so I, I try to challenge that pretty aggressively in a lot of my writing and i think very much related to that i i realize very belatedly that i tend to write stories of people who are searching for a home searching for a place yeah um where is it that i can be my most authentic self where is it that i can use labels to the extent that they're powerful and helpful to me, but I can shed them the moment they're not, I'm not bound by them. I can, I can be who I am safely and authentically. And the conflict in a lot of my stories is finding that, that place, even if that place is just an emotional space or an awareness of oneself. Yeah. These are themes that are so central to someone who's families, anyone whose families immigrated from one place to another, and and yeah. especially for someone who is biracial or multiracial, right. um, I can totally relate with that. Yeah, it, it, growing up biracial in the Bay Area, you're nothing special. You're a dime a dozen, right? And the challenge <laughs> yeah. there is being, the challenge there is always knowing that you're never Mexican enough, um, mm -hmm. if that, that's your background. But when I moved to the Midwest as a, as a, you know, an early twenties, no, sorry, mid twenties, I didn't realize how California and how ethnic I was until I moved to Southern Indiana. <laughs> and then I was like, wow, like overnight I became exotic. How did this happen? <laughs> and I wasn't ready for it. I really wasn't, you know, I, I grew up, I grew up basically being told by, by Mexicans. No, no, dude, don't even try. Mm -hmm. And white people were like, oh, that's kind of interesting, you know, but, but then I moved to Indiana and everybody's like, who are you? What are you? Why do you talk like that? And I had never been othered like that in my life. I was totally unprepared for it. I was uh -huh. so naive. <laughs> you just released a purpose to our savagery in July and congratulations on that. And you, Thank you very your much. Uh, first book, which I mentioned in the intro, um, that was released when? In March. Just this last March. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's really incredible for someone who just began writing in 2017. I don't really know how it happened, but it's <laughs> been a, it's been a whirlwind. Wow. And it wasn't easy though. I got I have to say that it, it, lest anyone listening to this thinks that it all just fell into place and I was able to very easily get two books published. I know I, I've become very accustomed to rejection. Yeah. <laughs> I just worked really hard. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm really thankful. Yeah. Well, congratulations to you on both of those. And Thank you. So I'd love to know what you are working on currently. Um, wow. So for someone who hasn't been able to write as much as he'd like the last couple of months, I feel like I'm pretty busy with writing stuff. So I, uh, I just finished the audiobook for the novel delivery in july 
Okay. And that was brutal. You know, I'm not a total rookie on the microphone, but I hadn't ever recorded an audiobook and I certainly hadn't recorded a 600 plus page audiobook all in the wow, first person yeah. present tense. So that was <laughs> yeah. that was rough. Yeah. So that came out. I'm very thankful that that I had that experience and that it's done. Um, I was able to, I think, place two stories and I don't know if I'll call it a poem or a lyric essay um, in journals this summer. So that's stuff that I wrote in the spring. So that felt good. Um, the uh, I'm recording the audiobook for Purpose to Our Savagery now, which I hope will be available September or in October. My, my contract deadline is technically October, so I have to be done by then. I'm very tentatively right now sort of compiling stories that I've written in the last year or so um, into what I hope will be a new collection. And we'll see okay. if I can get that published maybe sometime in 2024. Um, and stirring up the courage to relook at a, a chapter that I wrote that when I, when I wrote it in the spring, I thought to myself, oh, no, I think I'm writing the first chapter to a new novel. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> okay. And so I, I, I'm thinking about going back and, and looking at that and, and saying, okay, what is this going to be? I've thought a lot about it in my quiet time or when I'm running up in the hills and my brain's coming back to it enough to where I'm thinking that I need to either commit or just press delete. So we'll see what happens yeah. with that. Okay. And, and then um, Monday, August 14th, so shameless plug for campfire stories and um, – Modern Hotel Bar in downtown Boise. Wonderful. Um, I'll be there. On Monday, I'll be, on. I'll be reading with Ty Simpson. So, yeah, excited about that. That sounds great. So lots of openings and opportunities there. Yeah, yeah, I'm well, Thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's been a lovely thank conversation. You. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for taking the time, and thank you so much for um, for posting the audio for Wheatsling. Um, I, I enjoy that story. It was hard to write, but I'm glad that it resonates with people. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be back next Monday. Tune in.